This is 16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hi. (laughs) What's up? Nothing too much. No? It's felt like a leisurely weekend. I crossed a lot of things off my to-do list last week. Yeah. I After that episode on procrastinating, I really tried to drill down yeah. and not to work, do that as much. <laughs> so, you know, my inbox, my email inbox is, is looking nice and slim. You did say you spent like a whole day on that. So that's I just good. went through my email and tried to find everything I was supposed to be doing for forever and Progress. try to do all of the things. I still have one thing that I kind of need to stop procrastinating on. Sure. How are you t- how are you doing? How are you feeling? Doing okay. Yeah. I'm here. You're here? We made it through the first semester of school and I didn't think we would make it that far. The first semester? Yeah. In person. When no is it, chance, when does it end? Is it like officially over? Oh, it's over. Now? Yeah. It's over now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This will be, this is week one of a new week semester. Week one of a new yeah. semester. So okay. second semester. We're halfway. Okay. You're you eight. This. It's halfway You got this. Over. You're eight. Oh yeah. You kept telling people it was your seven. I know. I think we did the math, but properly. apparently it's year eight. Well, of you teaching, I think we said you were in year seven at some point in the podcast. I think, well, last so everyone, year that was true. She's way more of an expert than we all thought. <laughs> Maybe it was last year. One year more of expertise. Yeah, you're right. It could have been. been. <laughs> Maybe we haven't updated them since then. It's Who true. Knows? It's true. Yeah. No, we've made it halfway, and I, I didn't know if we were going to make it all of the first semester in person, which we did. We were never forced to. I mean, aside from like individuals being quarantined uh-huh. we never went to like a full school uh-huh. sort of thing right so i am uh, pleasantly surprised by that actually good how are you i'm good your inbox is down my inbox is down and you've been really busy i've been very busy with yeah work. yeah yeah anything else you're mad about this episode oh this episode just got me really worked up mm-hmm. anything I, else though yeah well no yeah i mean I don't know. We just. I mean, since we last recorded our last episode, we recorded the day before. Oh yeah, everything happened. Yeah, we did. We put out that episode the day after, so we had recorded the day before. We put it out the day after. Yes. So it probably felt like we were completely clueless (laughs) as to the state of the things in the United States. Like we were living in an actual bubble. But we just we Mm -hmm. pre-recorded it, obviously. So we didn't. Yeah. So that happened. So we all survived that. I've been pretty reliant on coffee, and I'm not going to say it's because of that, but it's definitely been a factor for me. Yeah. I've been drinking a full pot of coffee every day. My anxiety and has been pretty much out of control yeah. since then. Full pot of coffee, a lot of G Fuel. That's how I'm getting through. That's how I'm getting through the days. So we're all I'm surviving. Yeah. I'm working a lot more hours. Mm-hmm. I'm, we're trying to like, you know, also have fun and stream and play games and do stuff like that. So we're trying to keep sane by doing fun things sure it's been very cold so it's not you know and also pandemic so it's not like we can go out and about Mm -hmm. too easily but we're trying to you know it's been a pretty bleak few weeks i think yeah i think it's just the state of the world and so the day that this drops will be one day post inauguration yes right right so let's see what that's like in two weeks but looking forward to a new a new administration not gonna lie but our topic this week is relevant, actually. Yeah, it really is. Far it's, more relevant than we thought it was when we chose it. It is. It's going to be a really interesting... Yeah. So it does, we have some tie-ins with the new incoming Biden administration, because this week we're talking about education for incarcerated people. 
so education in the prison system Woof. mostly in the united states yeah yeah we talked about the school of prison pipeline that episode also got me really riled up in mm-hmm. some ways so yeah i don't know what it is about this or this problem i, I think it's just because there's in my mind so much social injustice in the united states around this issue mm-hmm. and, and even just from a, like a purely economical standpoint the decisions that have been made around this issue drive me insane because Mm -hmm. it just makes no sense what we have decided to do as a country about some of these things but we'll dive into it Mm -hmm. do you want to get started do we just start with this prison studies project yeah just dive on in the first thing that we i feel like we should start with is there's a a group or this project called the prison studies project and it was created in 2008 by kaya stern and bruce western and it was created or launched rather this prison studies project psp as they call it at harvard Uh, and they were doing it to promote informed conversation about the challenges of mass incarceration. So it came from the Harvard Law School's Charles Hamilton Houston Institute for Race and Justice. So that's kind of the home. But they have focused since 2008 on research, education, and policy change. And Around s- incarceration generally? Right. Okay. And like the need for education to be a factor uh-huh. in it and how tax dollars can be better used, right, essentially. Right, 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 right. I, w- I just want to note, as is probably normal at this point, we're going to kind of spend a lot of time talking about the United States prison system and education in prisons in the U.S., just because that's what we know and that's what we do. And also, it's probably, I mean, at least for this country, it's a very pressing problem, I think. It so, is. So again, if anyone's listening outside of the U.S., I'm sorry sure these problems are not exclusive to the United <laughs> States, right. but they, it is a very large problem in the united states because of the rate of incarceration in the united states which is very very high especially compared to peer countries we as a percentage of the population we imprison way more people Mm -hmm. than other developed countries for sure (laughs) which is really upsetting and also when you get i was reading a stat when i was researching this episode said something like in certain population centers in the united states it gets to be close to one in every 100 people are incarcerated that's actually insane to me. It is wild. It is very wild. Cool. So that's like kind of hard I think to work Louisiana through. was one of the places that uh, I read that statistic. So I just it's uh, anyway. So it's a big so problem. Heavy. We're diving in. Okay, so yeah, back this, to the prison studies project. Yeah, the PSP. Their studies conducted over the last two decades almost unanimously indicate that higher education and prison programs reduces the recidivism, and that translates into reduction in crime. Obviously, that saves money for taxpayers, and it also has long-term contributions to the safety and well-being of the communities to where these incarcerated people return. Mm-hmm. So there's a direct correlation in that. They said that compared with 18% of the general population, approximately 41% of incarcerated people do not hold a high school diploma. Okay, so non-incarcerated people, 18% do not have high school diploma. Yes. 41% of those incarcerated. So just a little under half of people. Do not. Okay. A high correlation exists between the level of education attained by an incarcerated person and his or her recidivism rate. And so the American Correctional Association has reported that in Indiana, the recidivism rate for GED completers is 20% lower than the general prison population's rate. And the recidivism rate for college degree completers is 44% lower than the general population's. So essentially what they're saying is that the higher the degree earned, the lower the recidivism rate. Yeah, I I thought this was really interesting. Uh, Just in case listeners don't know what that word means that that's recidivism is your likelihood to be reincarcerated right so come back to prison mm-hmm. once to you've return. been released yeah. because of a new offense and then the last thing that i found really interesting from the psp was that 
there was a study done by the Department of Policy Studies at UCLA, and they found that, and this is a direct quote, but quote, a million dollar investment in incarceration will prevent about 350 crimes, while that same investment in a correctional education will prevent more than 600 crimes. So correctional education is almost twice as cost effective as incarceration. I put some expletives after you that. Put statistic. a big capital, yeah. <laughs> I put expletives after that statistic in the show notes because that blows my mind that when you think of that and you think of the problems of incarceration in the United States and how much not because it's just the right thing to do aside from that but the economic impact of simply shifting a million dollars from keeping people in prisons to educating people in Mm -hmm. prisons it's almost half Mm -hmm. the crime that comes out of that I I just that one was really hard for me to kind of put together as cost effective as incarceration that's education in prisons so the fact that we're not doing a whole lot more of it is very concerning Mm -hmm. and it makes you ask questions hey why are we not doing that it almost seems like we want to keep people in prison and coming back to prison for sure in my head though that investment right the million dollars it makes sense to me it wasn't surprising for me to read that and for me to be like well of course it does you know what i mean that's where it gets hard for me is like there's an To me, it wasn't mind-blowing to find this out. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure why we can't do anything with that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which I know is a whole other issue. But in my head, I'm like, yes, of course. I forget. uh, I looked up another statistic. I'm not sure if I put it in the notes, but it was something like comparing the cost of educating one student in like K-12. And it was like twice as much the cost per annum to right. keep somebody incarcerated yes it, it, we're spending twice as much money keeping people locked in cells as we are on educating people in compulsory schools in this country yep i'm already irritated yeah okay. you're, you're gonna get pretty worked up i'm just gonna yeah. sit here and let you work through it. <laughs> it's gonna be easier for me that way i just you know well so, like I do, I looked into the history of this problem, mm-hmm. going back a little ways, looking at sort of the history of education programs in prisons in the United States. As you can imagine, as with all things educational in the United States, prison education programs started out as being primarily religious in nature. Secular programming developed around helping people be able to read Bibles and other religious texts. Surprise, surprise. Same thing happened in public education sectors. So the first major education program sort of focused on rehabilitating prisoners was launched in 1876. So it's been around Hmm. for a while. By 1900, the states of Massachusetts, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, and Minnesota had adopted rehabilitative education programs. By the 1930s, education programs could be found in most prisons in the u.s mm-hmm. so tertiary education tertiary education programs that's college level education did not appear until much much later and this is where it starts to be a little bit relevant to the current political moment but in 1960 there were only nine states that were offering college level education to inmates by 1983 programs were available in most states in 1965, Lyndon Johnson, President Johnson, signed the Higher Education Act, and this allowed people in prisons to begin receiving Pell mm-hmm. Grants. Pell Grant funding. Not for long. Yeah. So, again, this is, a, what did I say, 65, Johnson signed into law the Higher Education Act, allowed people in prisons to begin receiving Pell Grant funding for college courses, and that started working in 1972. So it was it took a while to get there, but a couple years later, in 72, prisoners could apply for Pell Grant funding. Pell Grants help people from under-resourced communities apply to receive money to go mm-hmm. get college courses, college education. Yeah, they're, I mean, 
and it's, it's not just crucial things right. for people as far as yeah it's also not just for incarcerated people pell grants you can apply for funding uh, for, right for and they're from important anywhere. because they're not alone they're not so alone. they're just money. that's that's what's so important about them though is that yep. what's going to happen is even worse because of the fact that it's stripping money from the people who anyways i'll let you get yeah. there. yeah so between 72 and 95 1995 inmates in the u.s were able to apply for pell grants so that's what we we're just talking about but there's this big crime however. bill that comes along however there's a Come. big however <laughs> In 1994, Congress passed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which denies Pell Grants to anyone who is incarcerated. The legislation commonly called the Clinton Crime Bill or the Biden Crime Law provided for 100,000 new peace officers. I didn't like that term, but that's what the article Mm -hmm. called them. So it's just like, you know, correctional officers, basically. Peace officers is an interesting way to say that. $9.7 billion in funding for prisons and $6.1 billion in funding for prevention programs, which were designed with significant input from experienced police officers. Mm -hmm. Which, why? Mm -hmm. But okay. Keep going. Anyway, moving on. So then Senator Joe Biden of Delaware drafted the Senate version of the legislation in cooperation with the National Association of Police Organizations, Mm. also incorporating the Violence Against Women Act with Senator Orrin Hatch. Okay, so Biden was roundly criticized for this in the presidential election cycle, and he absolutely should have been, because this is just, based on the statistics that we read up earlier alone, this should never have happened, Mm -hmm. because it costs taxpayers less. Mm Mm-hmm. To allow mm-hmm. incarcerated people to apply for Pell Grant funding. Yes. But somebody along the line was like, oh, we've got to get tough on crime. We've got to take away privileges from people who are incarcerated. What? And the short-sightedness of that approach just cannot be understated. Right. So Biden at first was not saying whether or not he'd repeal this Pell Grant restriction. He was kind of dancing around it because he sponsored. He, he wrote the Senate legislation. He yeah. was 100% behind this 94 crime bill. And he wasn't alone. The majority bad, of the bad, bad. Congressional Black Caucus voted in favor of doubling down on mass incarceration and mm-hmm. mandatory minimums, which is just wild looking back. But anyway, so as a result of this crime bill, by 2005, only about a dozen prisons in the United States were offering post-secondary education compared to 350 prisons in the early 90s. In 2015, Barack Obama created a pilot program that allowed a limited number of inmates to receive bell grants again. More than 200 colleges and 47 states subsequently expressed interest in running educational programs for prisoners. Trump admin considered this pilot a success. I'm kind of surprised by that, but there we go. There's bipartisan congressional support for repealing the Pell ban altogether. And Biden has actually committed to repealing the Pell grant ban. Okay. I spent a lot of time digging through his platform on his election website about sort Mm -hmm. of prison justice-oriented stuff. And a lot of it is just... Doing the opposite of the 94 mm-hmm. crime bill, which yeah. I find really interesting. But here we are. Yeah. These sort of tough on crime stances do not they didn't end do what up they were benefiting to. anybody. They no. don't benefit prisoners. They don't benefit taxpayers. They don't benefit communities. communities. They don't benefit systems of higher education. You know, yeah. nobody comes out ahead because on of this it. tough on crime. Forget about everything else. We just have to punish people approach, especially when it comes to recidivism. It just doesn't work. Mm hmm. So anyway, yeah, I just, ugh, makes my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just threw in another fun fact here at the end, which I thought was interesting. Oh, this is the stat. This is the stat I was talking about. In 2016, U.S. Department of Ed released an analysis which showed that over the course of three decades from 1979 to 2013, state and local spending on prisons and jails increased at three times the rate of funding for pre-K public education over the same years. Mm. 
pre, sorry, pre-K through 12 mm-hmm. public education over the same years. So spending for jails and prisons increased at three times the rate mm-hmm. of funding for public education in this yeah. country. If that doesn't tell you that we're really screwed up, I don't, I don't know what, I don't yeah. know what will. This is, the, this is the defunding <laughs> that everyone is talking about. This is where yeah. that happens. When we talk about things like defunding police systems and defunding prison systems, we're not talking about taking away money altogether to make these parts of society function. We're talking about reallocating money that currently goes to those systems. So, like, money that keeps somebody incarcerated. What if we reappropriated that money and put it toward prison education systems? Well, then you would have half as many inmates. Mm-hmm. Because of what it's because mm-hmm. of the statistics that we know about education and recidivism, right? You, you wouldn't have to spend the money on keeping people mm-hmm. incarcerated because you would have avoided the problem altogether, right? So anyway, Whew. yeah, yikes! I know it's a big one. I have a lot of feels, mm-hmm. a lot of feels about this one. Yeah, what does the is there sort of like a unified system of education in the U.S. in U.S. prisons, or is it state by state? It's state or? by state. Yeah. So like most states have, in the case of Ohio, like we have county jails, right? And then we have state prisons, mm-hmm. and then some states will also have federal prisons. Yeah, we have one. In we have Ohio, one. I think. Yeah. So it's all based on your state. In Ohio, there's one district. Mm-hmm. That serves all of the state prisons. So it's sort of like the equivalent of a state department of education in every state yes. runs the state prison education system. Yeah, and it's just okay. a matter of however they choose to kind of handle it. I didn't look at how the federal prisons would do it. I'm not sure. Well, I looked it up a little bit, but it's a little bit disappointing. They kind of have like a milk toast. We have a policy of, you know, providing educational opportunities to prison. That was about all I could find mm. in terms of useful gotcha. information about. Yeah. So it sounds like it does happen. It probably happens at about the same rate that it happens in state prisons, I would assume. Probably so. I, what I was trying to say is I'm just not sure if the state that that federal prison is located is in charge of that education system there. Oh, probably not. So that's where, not. I'm, that's where I didn't get. Yeah. Sorry. So Anyways. I was kind of just looking up. Yeah, I was looking up general kind of state prison systems they they bear responsibility for implementing education programs in general and because state budgets have you know not been they, mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty much as tight as they've ever been those really tight budgets threaten the ability of states to maintain funding commitments to prison education yeah. programs in spite of federal grant funding which mm-hmm. obviously was also dwindling yeah. outside of funding there are also other issues one example that i found was only 14 percent of students in prison are allowed restricted internet access that's surprising, unfortunately. Well, right, when so much of the world happens on the internet, yeah. it's just kind of no wonder that recidivism is as much of a problem as it is, because if you're completely unprepared to encounter a world, much of which occurs on the internet now, it's no wonder you're going to feel out of place right. in a system like that. But anyway, I just had like a kind of general observation, too. Just after grad school, I was working in a nonprofit, and one of their, one of the parts of their programming was doing a prison education program, basically. And I never actually went into the prisons, but I ran some of the administrative back end for that programming. Mm-hmm. And it was the most difficult thing in the world yeah. to try to even just provide volunteer programming to this prison. It was mm-hmm. completely volunteer basis. We were doing it for free. Were these state we were bringing prisons? our materials. This was a uh, yeah, state prison. And, and yeah. And it, it just even trying to call the prison 
to talk to because we had to like, couldn't get to humans probably right. no we had to submit ahead of time the list of people who are coming in so you could be you yep. know, on the list the visitor list for that day sure if you didn't do that or half the time you call you couldn't get anybody in the office you would email and nobody would respond you know it's not not as if they're not dealing with a bunch of their own problems anyway mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily the fault of whomever we were talking right. to but even just volunteering on a volunteer basis creating educational programming in prisons there are so many apparent hurdles there's so many things that stand in the way of people just even providing this on a volunteer basis Mm -hmm. that it doesn't surprise me that there's such an issue with getting educational programming into prisons so yeah do you want to talk a little more about the ohio department of rehabilitation and correction just kind of talking about ohio stuff a little bit there the ohio department of rehabilitation and correction put out a statement in 2019 and it says quote it is the policy of the ohio department of rehabilitation and correction which they call the odrc to provide for a comprehensive education program available to all inmates who are eligible to include the following educational philosophy and goals communication skills general education basic academic schools high school equivalency preparation special ed career tech education advanced job training education high school ed and apprentice programming other educational programs shall be developed as dictated by the needs of the institution's population so that's kind of their blanket state for their goals if that makes sense it's interesting that said that we have a policy so it almost makes and i'm not really sure about this because i didn't get to do quite a deep as deep of a dive as i would have liked to Mm -hmm. on this issue but the issue of prison policy versus state law yeah (laughs) like this says it's our policy so Mm -hmm. policies are interesting little things because you can have policies but you can also just change policies on a whim particularly if funding is in flux so it's just like well our policy was that but now we don't have any money so it's not our policy anymore you know we we kind of need to start thinking and this is what again it was interesting to hear biden kind of completely reverse course on his crime bill because we need in order to ensure that prison education continues to happen we need it kind of codified we we need mm-hmm. we need it to be law rather than right policy yeah so as i yeah. said the the school district that services the incarcerated at least in those state prison levels is called the ohio central school system they call themselves the ocss and so this data is from 2018 that's the most recent data and i'm gonna guess that the 20 well it would be the 2020 data would probably be very interesting to look at because there was some releases from state prisons that our governor allowed because of covid mm-hmm. to help kind of cut down the population so this is pre-covid 2018 data and like i said this is 28 prisons and so these are not the county jails but the MU- inmate population for that year was 49,379 people Mm-hmm. The students totally enrolled for any of the services, basically, that that policy covered is 28,602. So, so a little more than half. Yes. And again, this is not just toward a high school diploma. This could be like, this could be career training. Right. Or, you know, a lot of times people, we, we've been watching a show. What's this show, show called? I think it's like World's Toughest Prisons yeah. or something. This guy, he was wrongfully imprisoned. Raphael. Raphael Rowe, I think his name mm-hmm. is. He was convicted of a murder in the uk and did 12 years but it is it's been interesting to see him because often he'll interview a lot of the prisoners in these places or and they talk about how whatever it is they're doing in prison you know even just as like their prison job you know cooks and people Mm -hmm. building things tinkering stuff they're saying like i'm going 
to use this when I get out. I'm going, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to be employed when I get out. These skills. Because I'm learning this skill here in prison, especially that I didn't have before. I remember him talking to a guy who was doing pastries. He was making mm-hmm. pastries. He was like, I want to be a pastry chef when I get out. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of stuff too. It's not just like GED or high school yeah. equivalencies or college courses. It's also all, all kinds of other sorts yeah. of educational opportunities. So but yeah. that also that year so they had 28,000 more than 28,000 enrolled but that year they served actually more than 40,000 so they served over 81% of their inmates with some form of this OCSS mm-hmm. like the school mm-hmm. system so this is like the the 28,600 was like people enrolled in the yes. school system the other stuff was on top of that other things that they things. offer so gotcha. like they'll also like i think it was i think they said that every person who didn't score a high enough literacy rating had to take the literacy course so Mm. there were like all types of things they were trying to offer so you can get like a ged or your high school diploma and that would include your state required graduation testing system which Mm -hmm. is what i test in my you know job Uh they have special ed in title one they have apprenticeships they have opportunities that are similar to like a career technical school that you would go to maybe like your junior or senior year of high school and they also have, for some inmates, an opportunity to tutor other students, mm-hmm. so other inmates, which I thought was kind of cool. And the other data that the state shared was that they had more than 50,000 books donated to them. And so it seems like their library is pretty well utilized. And actually, Chelsea and I looked into that because she had an ex- or had known, at least, that in other times it's been very hard to donate to prisons. Yeah, somewhere along the line, a kind of group of my friends started calling attention to the fact that, and this is, I think... I think especially probably true in for-profit prisons but there were there are policies and laws being passed in some of these places or maybe it's just the prison policy that you can't even donate books to prison libraries Mm -hmm. ostensibly the reason for that is because they're an avenue for contraband to enter the prison system but honestly i feel that's a bit of a weak i i just don't i don't like it basically i don't like that we can't even donate educational materials to prisons but, but yeah we did so, find places where you could yeah there are uh, some interesting organizations nonprofits, companies all kinds of stuff that are dedicated to the problem of getting educational literature into prison library systems mm-hmm. or you know just books so there are people out there doing that work but i just know that in general it's probably getting more difficult rather than easier to donate books to prison libraries sure a lot of times they require you to order brand new books off of Amazon and directly yeah. ship it to the prison yeah. so that there can be no, you know, whatever. Tampering. Tampering with it or whatever. But it's just a lot of times people don't want to buy brand new books. They want to donate what they have. They mm-hmm. want to just support in the easiest possible way what is already a difficult, you know, funding sure. situation or whatever it is. So it just has been discouraging to hear that that's becoming even more restrictive in some places but just you know there are like you said there are organizations out there that are kind of dedicated to the good work of making sure that books get into prison libraries Mm -hmm. so yeah so i had a little bit of an experience with this but it was only because i was placed actually for teaching hours during my undergrad in our county jdc so Mm -hmm. the juvenile detention center so I was there a semester. I think I was there one day a week, maybe two, but only a few hours every week. And so I saw students that were usually coming and going from other systems that maybe were having problems at school or had gotten criminal. You know what I mean? There's a lot of reasons a student can end up in the JDC. Uh-huh. And they can so- even do that for like, you know, truancy. Yeah. I was reading about this too because they were like status offenses is what they're called mm-hmm. for when when you end up in juvenile detention for doing something that had you been a legal adult or over a certain age would not have been an offense right they're called status offenses yeah so a lot of times kids end up in juvenile detention not even for for 
you know, not for particularly problematic crimes, but because yeah. they were drinking underage or because they sure. broke curfew or yes. were truant or whatever. Yeah. Right. But the JDC I was in, it was pretty small. And we were never... I don't think our class ever had more than like 12 people in it at a time. So it was never at that time near capacity by any means. Like there were always, there was always room, which mm-hmm. maybe that's, that's probably a good thing, but still. So they had two teachers there. It was, I think it was actually based on the content because I distinctly remember another teacher, but I remember the girls going to him as well. So it must have been, they just taught their subject areas. Mm-hmm. But being an English teacher, I obviously was there for the English time. And so when students at that, this is 10 years ago, but when they were sent to JDC, they were only doing basically core classes. So when they left whatever school they were coming from to come in here, it's not like this. the JDC told the teacher where they were. What's a core, core class? Core classes are like English, math, science, history. Yeah, like graduation the, requirement. Yeah, grad requirements. Okay. So there aren't, so, these kids aren't having an opportunity to explore their passions through electives. Well, <laughs> not a lot of times because the goal ultimately of JDC is not to be there long. Mm-hmm. So they don't really, mm-hmm. not that they shouldn't, but like the goal, I mean, I think the longest I saw a kid there was like four or five weeks. It doesn't mean they're, they aren't there longer. So the goal is to get them back to back out moving, as quickly yes. as possible. I mean, that's the hope, uh-huh. but that doesn't always, I mean, we had, you know, a couple kids come back and forth a few times, yeah. but those things can also happen because of incidents at home or whatever. A large population of our JDC students were also in the child like protective services yeah. system as well. Yeah. So we're dealing with a lot of things with these students. I think I read, what did I say? One in four kids who are in the foster system end up yes. in prison. It was something like that. Something really crazy mm-hmm. like that. By the time they're out of the foster system, one in four of them will end yeah. up in prison. So I thought when I went into there that it was going to be uh, very strict, secure learning because I was like, oh, they're here. There aren't attendance, like, and there were attendance issues because these kids had to see lawyers. They had to see, you know, whoever. So like CPS workers, even though they were there, they were or... not always there. Yeah. So they're there, but it's scheduled at the same time as all these important yeah because i mean you're talking like people who work nine to five jobs or ten you know i mean like Uh that's when they're there Uh and so that was the hard thing was even though you would be there and you'd be doing english like so and so might have to go meet with a rep or yeah whoever it is but the goal was there was just to keep them learning Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. in my experience now as a classroom teacher when students come and go to jdc i say come and go like they have the option but when that's you know when that Mm -hmm. happens to Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really hard for teachers to get them back on track when they return in school. And it's hard for the students as well, because they've gone from a very strict lockdown to then being back in a public high school. I would also imagine it's jarring because they go from following the lesson plans a certain teacher or grade level has outlined to a completely different, separate, divided educational person. And in the JDC, everyone in English, no matter their age, was doing the same thing. Ooh. So you could have kids as young as like 14 and some, I mean, if they were 18, they weren't there for long. Like if they'd either dropped out or if they were being moved to jail or whatever, mm-hmm. like depending on what was happening for them. So that was the other interesting thing was that you would be teaching the same thing to every age level, even yeah. if they were four years apart, which they could be. But it really that seems wildly inappropriate for an educational system. I, but okay. I mean, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with that but i don't know how that teacher could possibly create oh yeah i don't like mean to place the blame no 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 but even like the public high school i work at like we have a list every year of students that we're concerned about like you know we track birthdays and things 
because we're trying to keep them, you know, and yeah. we're worried that this could happen. Yeah. And so the JDC being there, that really opened my eyes. We had to wear very strict clothing like oh yeah if the teacher hadn't told them we were going to be there that day like the guards like we weren't allowed in even though we were there weekly like yep, that's the same thing with us we, we went into we were in there lockdown, on a set, like, set schedule in the state prison in maryland we were on a set schedule we were there like every whatever tuesday yeah. or something like that at a certain time yeah and even so you still had to yep. have your visitor list approved yep. ahead of time it's just like and we would get there i mean we probably got there five or six times so something was happening inside we couldn't go in yeah so we'd be told to go oh, yeah. home oh yeah or we were there for a lockdown once mm-hmm. or i mean it really opened my eyes you have At a first, note here that says that you had to you have to check in and out you have to check in and out pencils yeah they couldn't have pencils on their own like Desk we had them numbered bolted yeah. to the floor yeah it's <laughs> It was eye-opening. We couldn't carry anything on us, so I would have to email the teacher anything that I wanted to do with them because I couldn't bring right. in You had to have it whatever. there ahead of yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So to her great credit, she was great at communicating, but you would have to be to work there. Yeah. But it, there's something very odd about the fact... I mean, we always had someone in the room with a guard in the room with us, mm-hmm. but it, there's a very odd fact that you are stuck in this room and that you can't just, you know... Like you're you're in there. Like that's it. Yeah. For however long English classes, we are all together here. Yeah. So it was oh my gosh, I was twenty. When I was twenty, I was like, Oh my goodness. I don't know. It it was a whole experiment. And that was mm-hmm. only a JDC, that wasn't a state prison like what we were talking about. But the classrooms were really bare. And that teacher was incredible. Like she was working magic in there. Like those mm-hmm. kids really respected her and mm-hmm. she taught me a lot too, but to to have the energy to do that would be very hard and there's a high turnover rate obviously for teachers yeah. who work in prison systems or jdcs or something I can it's a very imagine. hard environment yeah yeah it's really hard so very eye-opening yeah really tough hands that they were dealt mm-hmm. to play but holy cow does it make me you know whew, it's rough yeah so yeah. i i don't think there's ever going to be enough we can do for those students but I also, you know, yeah, you and it's hard when you feel like they didn't really have a chance to begin with. Right. And that's how I felt with a lot of those guys. And I say guys because I was with the I I was truly with the boys. Mm -hmm. The boys had a much the male population was like quadruple that of the women of the young ladies. There was probably like at most five young ladies in there at the time. There'd be like as many as like 20 of the young men. So it was just disproportionately that way. But. I was never in the classroom with the young ladies, so mm-hmm. my experience was just the males. Very interesting. Ugh, rough. I... My parents, when I told them, they were like, you got placed where? Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't have an option. We just got told I, where we went. And I, I was like, come again. Oh, okay, let's do it. I mean, I was excited to go. I think... Yeah, Still you, interesting. You and I were talking about this before the show, but we were talking, at least I was saying that I think a lot of this is evidence that we can't... We treat education as a privilege. Mm-hmm. I think even within the prison system, it's like you're punished yeah. by not being able to learn. It comes back to that episode we were talking about, like, recess. Like, mm. we were talking about how recess is used as a as a privilege, and instead we should treat it as a necessary part of the day yeah, so that students happen. can learn the best way they can learn. And I think that we really should start in this country, especially to look at education the same way we should not treat it as the special thing that you get i I don't think we can afford to treat education as a privilege we should treat it as a right Mm -hmm. first of all i mean this prison education stuff is is a good example because we can't just economically speaking it's hugely more cost effective Mm -hmm. to educate rather than continue to incarcerate so even on the basis of that alone it makes me at least think that 
education should not be a privilege, but it should be yeah. a right. And mm -hmm. it's just like, even when we're talking about this language of rights, rights that we have granted as citizens of this country because of the Constitution, how, how do you even... How do you even know? How do you even know what those rights and duties and responsibilities are without a proper yeah. education? So I, I, it continues to baffle me that we treat education as a kind of treat that you get. If you yeah. behave well, rather than a right that citizens should be given in order to ensure the proper functioning of democracy, mm -hmm. it, it just continues to blow my mind yeah. that we that we treat it that way because it's in our own best interest as a nation, as a world, right. to educate people. It's in our own best mm -hmm. interest. We can only come out better because of it collectively. Yeah, I agree. That's why I, that's why I get a bee in my bonnet about this stuff. <laughs> well, it's also why the, the conversation surrounding defunding is so important because by defunding parts of it, the criminal justice system is that what you're talking? Yeah, about? yeah. like there, there's a lot to be done, and that prove like the statistics literally should like, it's there. We just have to figure out how to, you know, manipulate it to work. But that's yeah, I think we have to do things like stop allowing the existence of for-profit prisons. Sure, we just stop allowing entities whose sole purpose is to make money off of incarcerated people. Right. We <laughs> the fact that we've gotten to that place as a country is very sad to me. And I don't even mean obviously this sounds like a kind of sounds like a left-wing flight of fancy to say this kind of stuff. But I feel it's it's unfortunate to me that the issue is even politicized mm -hmm. because it's just i agree the, the evidence speaks to the fact that it's in everybody's best interest yeah. to treat these issues this way it, it doesn't have to be a party line thing it shouldn't be because it's just very obviously better for everyone involved yep. if we don't have these kind mm -hmm. of systems of oppression and you know repeat offenders and like we, we set people up to fail by our attitudes about education yeah. in this country. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a lot of room for improvement. I'm excited about where yeah. the future is going to go. I don't mean to be like such a downer about all of this, but I do think that we just, we need a huge tone shift about the language of education as a, as a, pr a privilege. And we, we need, I, again, I th feel like I've said this before. I feel like I'm becoming a broken record on this podcast, but I think we need a tone shift about all of that because we need to treat it as a right. We need to. Mm -hmm. because we can't function we can't no. function without learning we can't function without knowing what our rights and responsibilities are mm -hmm. a lot of work to be done yeah nowhere Hopefully, to go but up i mean that's maybe the <laughs> you know the shining hope is that it can't get worse the shine on top of the turd <laughs> as it were yeah if we were gonna uh yeah anyways yeah okay anyway do you want to get to the fill in the blank? I'm like, not quite. Yeah, past all that. Just pause for a second. On this day, January 7th in 1800, the 13th U.S. President Millard Fillmore was born. Fillmore was not a popular president, but made his mark by being one of only four presidents to be a member of which political party? The Whig the Party. The Whig Party. W-H-I-G. The Whigs. Not the thing on top of your head. But also that. Okay. But also that, yeah. Separately. Whig. So. The Whig Party. This episode's question. Yeah. Chelsea oh, I'm excited to do, about this. Chelsea had to do her homework. Yeah, we watched... Okay, so in addition to that prison show, we also watched Shawshank Redemption. Which, which you have of, to. Yeah. In order to do this episode, you which have to. Which is one of your favorite... Top five for me. Films. Yeah. yeah. So the question this week is about that. It's one of Morgan Freeman's most famous movies, The Shawshank Redemption, is about the maybe wrongly imprisoned Andy Dufresne 
played by Tim Robbins, and his efforts to create and build a library for the men imprisoned at the Shawshank State Prison. Andy's efforts would not be possible without this character, who serves as a sole employee at the library until Andy comes along. Fun hint, this character has a pet bird named Jake. What is the name of that character? One of the best characters in the whole movie. Yeah, you like him. He's pretty cool. Oh, he's great. One of the best movies. Shot here in Ohio? Blank was here. Yes. Mm, yeah, it was rip. it was shot at a former Mansfield. Mansfield Reformatory. Was it a former state penitentiary. State penitentiary, yeah. Yeah. And now you can tour it. And you can do ghost hunts there. Ghost hunts. And the tree that's in the movie, the big one, mm-hmm. where Andy buries the thing uh-huh. from red. Uh-huh. That tree just fell down a couple years ago. Oh, it was struck by lightning. Sad. But my mom and I drove out there and we saw it before it came down. It was really oh, beautiful. Good. Yeah. But it did it. come down. Wow. Sad. Rip. All right. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. What did you learn this Last week? Last thing. Yeah. What'd you learn? What did I learn? Well, I learned a very valuable lesson. Oh, what's that? <laughs> I needed snow boots. Yeah. So we went to the outlet mall uh-huh. for snow boots uh-huh. because it's called an outlet mall. Uh-huh. So I believed that there would be... Deep discounts. Sale, sale, sale. <sighs> yes. At the outlet. Get your low cost items here. So I'm like... I mean, whatever. It was fine. There were some good deals. There were. Not everything, but some. Mm-hmm. Got home. My dad, I'm telling him about how I didn't think things were as discounted as before. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, well, not all stores in an outlet mall are actually outlet stores. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you got bamboozled. I was like, what? By the outlet empire. <laughs> Tanger really got me this time. Tanger. So, Yeah. I mistakenly thought that if you were a store in an outlet mall, you were truly an outlet store. Yeah. And I feel like most of them there are. I discovered true. that that wasn't true when I looked at the price tag for a freaking flannel shirt and it was $155. Well, <laughs> I was like, no, so, well, thank you. We learned it a couple different times yesterday, but I was just Ugh. like, oh, I must have been there on a sale, whatever. And then I was like, there's no way. Like, this isn't this isn't an outlet no. at all. It's just full priced items. It was just full priced items. Packaged up have- in an quote unquote outlet bundle yeah so that was not something i felt great about but i did learn it and so i guess now what's good is that my expectations are much lower yeah i've recalibrated my expectations about outlet so although if you're looking for a deal i got a great deal though you did get a great deal but i'm just saying if you're generally looking for a good deal it's not always there yeah, it's not. Don't don't always assume that the lowest. And price some of the is stuff that we found the in the store, we looked online and it was cheaper online. Yeah, so yep. we so on them. Do a price check. Do a price comparison check before you buy stuff from outlets because it's not necessary. Outlet malls, at least. <sighs> I, I just got angry. Again. Outlet malls are not always full of outlets. All stores. right. What did you learn? I okay. So we've been watching this. <laughs> we watched The Mandalorian. We binged The Mandalorian mm-hmm. and we loved it. So the the Star Wars TV show. We've watched both seasons of it that exists so far now we're watching a making of documentary about the mandalorian and it's like john favreau and all these interesting directors and actors and all this stuff so we're watching this show and they were talking about special effects and budgeting for special effects and all kinds of stuff they do so many cool things now they put these people in what they're called they call it the volume which is a kind of a creepy name for it but everyone had started talking about the volume when we were watching this documentary and i'm like they're like, oh, we were in the volume. I'm like, you were in the volume? Are you always in a volume? But okay, this is the volume. Mm. But it's this weird like kind of bubble where they have essentially like digital screens set up all around so that light and shadow happen the way that 
they project stuff on these screens yeah. and it creates light and shadow that is how you would want to do light and shadow for real so that they don't have to digitally edit stuff later yeah. to put in fake light and shadow so that very cool the actors can be stand they're standing in front of what is basically a fancy blue screen or green screen but it's like they can see the horizon or the sunset or whatever it is so they don't just have to react to a blank fake yeah Giancarlo Esposito was like it's it's like really a new day yeah he's like Like, talking about how I don't have to hold it all in my head as an actor I can you just just see it truly it was really cool like I can see the tie fighters fighting or I can see standing on it yeah looking at the sun or yeah it it was very cool cool to hear the uh, really cool stuff to see and there's some kind of really new technology that they're using in this in this tv show but anyway the one thing i learned in this tv show is actually about slightly older technology and that's about how they this this lady this kind of effects prop and effects lady started talking about zerk hits zerk hits and i was like what the heck is a zerk hit Mm -hmm. i've never heard of that before yeah i had no idea and it's they were talking about like kind of pyrotechnic effects and like fight scenes and stuff like that but zerk hits are apparently plastic balls so 68 caliber plastic balls filled with a special formulation that contains zirconium and they're like very highly regulated so you can't just go buy these yeah things. sure you gotta, like you know be <laughs> i would assume very heavily insured and have you yeah. know a permit and all this stuff yeah. to get these Probably things but dangerous. you can order these things and they get they were talking about how expensive it was so how much they went through in a single day of shooting or whatever it was like yeah. seven thousand zirk hit rounds or whatever it was but they're plastic balls filled with zirconium they can be fired out of a standard paintball gun and on impact, they create this flash of spark because it's supposed to resemble the impact of an actual bullet hitting a hard surface. Mm-hmm. So it's what props people use to create the effect of, you know, right. a bullet hitting a metal surface. And it looks really cool. They showed it in the background, that kind of that scene that was involving a lot of these mm-hmm. kit objects. And it was just, you know, a cool space battle or whatever. Yeah. But it was, it was neat to learn that that's how they do that kind of effect. Because yeah. I would never really know. I know how they do like like gel packs for you know injuries getting shot sure. or something like that so they have like exploding mm-hmm. basically gel packs of blood and like stuff like that i've heard of that kind of thing before but i've never known how they do that thing that looks kind of pyrotechnic where they're like sparks hitting and apparently it's zirconium impacting a hard surface it's i definitely thought it do was that. just some effect they added after the fact yeah well like i mean I they just... look so real that i always figured that it must be some kind of actual yeah. impact but I'm I like, feel like knowing Star Wars' budget, though, they like could have afforded it if it wasn't anyway. Yeah, so probably, I think that's probably, probably why I'm like, oh, they could just make this because yeah, it was George just, Lucas. <laughs> it was really interesting to learn that that's zirconium is how they yeah. do that. Good show. It is a good show. The real one in the, the Mando is incredible. And also this version. Yeah. It's a great TV show, yeah. And we watched WandaVision, and that was fun, too. And that's also oh, yeah. on Disney+. Plus. So yeah. not, let's just end on a good thing. Let's just... The Marvel Universe try to continues to... Yeah continues to delight <laughs> yeah anything else uh wikipedia is 20 years old yeah thank you wikipedia for 20 years of whatever thank you you've for been doing. one year of feeling research on this podcast and 20 years of and feeling other kinds of research all of my other years of research needed <laughs> thank you yeah yeah well man two weeks from now it could look a lot different so let's just hope for good stuff always look on the bright side <laughs> of life yeah Anyway, that's probably about a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next time. time. Bye. Bye.
listeners. Thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Mossels. Is this over yet? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry.